0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast. Don't know why I said it that way, but I did, and now we all have to deal with it. My name is Dan Roselle, and I'm joined by John Fisher, as usual. Hello, John.
1: Hello, Dan. Welcome to the, as we're recording this, the second night of Hanukkah, and more importantly, the day after. Maybe not more importantly,
0: that's a bit harsh. I apologize <laughs> I to the say. people. Uh, let's redo that. <laughs> no, it's okay. As, as the representative for the people, we forgive you. Thank you.
1: I I appreciate the forgiveness, but not as importantly, but still valuable to the people who matter, the Devils fans that we uh, speak for. Uh, The Devils are coming off a win against the second-rate rivals, won their first game since the 20th of November, which sounds like a long time ago, but it actually wasn't. Um, But more importantly, it denied a three-game winless streak, and the Devils have a shot of ending November on a high note with a game tomorrow against San Jose.
0: Yeah, so before we get to the games themselves – I know a lot of you were uh, very excited for a homecoming with your families for the Thanksgiving holiday. I know a lot of people are very excited to uh, get the familiarity of New Jersey. A lot of people are excited to see their families and friends and maybe super buddies again because the Devils got one such uh reunion the classic Thanksgiving come home. I hope you enjoyed your trip to Seattle, Nate Bastion. but he was picked up. We were talking about it last week. He ended up being picked up off of waivers and not only that, but he also has already contributed in his return um, to the devil's uniform. So welcome back, Nate Bastion. And I'm sure of all people on the roster, Mike McLeod is feeling happiest about this. Absolutely.
1: And again, as I said in last week, the last episode, Michael McLeod without Bastion last season was horrible. Michael McLeod this year is not as horrible as that this season, but he will absolutely benefit from having his good buddy and more importantly on ice connection on a bottom six line. So welcome back, Nate Bastian. In fact, he actually jumped. He actually was claimed by New Jersey on Thanksgiving itself and actually made his debut on black Friday in Nashville, which um, did not go well, but let's, we'll get there when we get there.
0: Yeah. So let's start with, um, We said we'd mentioned the Minnesota game where uh, not the best effort overall from New Jersey, but they did Mm. get a point out of it. I mean, it was weird Uh. because for the most part, it didn't look that convincing uh, until they started tilting the ice and just couldn't. It's the repeated theme with the Devils of (sighs) post, 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 missing wide open opportunities.
1: Okay, well, I, I'm going to have to disagree a bit there. I will agree that the Wild scored first and second in the game in the first period. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan Hartman scored a banger of a shot. You know, one of those shots that, you know, okay, there's not much you could do about this. Yeah. It was a deflection as, as well. So, I mean, it was a good shot and it was deflected. in. But the, uh, the horror was Nico Sturm uh, scoring a shorthanded goal against this absolutely awful, miserable, horrible, no good power play designed by Mark Reckie coached by Mark Reckie and the rest of the staff. And uh, it was a minus one in this game. And um, I will say, however, that when the second period came along, the shots weren't as uh, prolific, but Damon Stevenson hit the post twice. And then the devils just turned up the juice in the third period. They ultimately put 40 shots on cam Talbot in this game Mm -hmm. uh, from a variety of locations. They finally, Got something through to him in the third period when instead of going low to high, Nico Heesher styled on former devil Dmitry Kulikov and fed a pass out from the behind the goal line to Pavel Zaka, who just winged it far post for the make it two-one. And then there were a number of number of opportunities, including another post on a power play, no less. So the power play actually almost came close to redeeming itself, but of course it didn't. There was a five on three power play for about a minute, which I didn't think was that bad, but in Mark Recchi's uh, infinite wisdom, decided to turn the five on three effectively into a four on three, which is better. than his typical. I'm going to turn this five on four into a three on four, but it is what it is. Didn't get the goal there. Um, but with the, with uh, the goaltender pulled, Keesher sure takes a rebound from Jesper Bratt right in front. Instead of doing the simple greasy goal, jam it in, got to be hard stuff. He sure thought, hey, I'm pretty smart. I noticed that my man is coming to coming in front and we can slam in an open shot. And that man was Jaeger, Sharon Govich mm-hmm. scoring his third of the season to tie it up. And then in overtime, the Devils effectively dominated. Dougie yep. Hamilton hit the post early on. There are other good chances. The Wild only got one on net. Unfortunately, despite all the efforts, that meant we had to see a shootout. And as you would expect with shootouts and the New Jersey Devils since 2013, they didn't come close to winning it. So the Devils earned a point that maybe they were looking like they weren't going to get, but ultimately dropped the second point despite their best efforts in the third period and overtime. And you just throw up your hands and go, it is what it is. You only got three goals, I'm sorry, two goals out of 40 instead of the three goals out of 42 shots that you were intending to get, but
0: and the devil's hard to be strength in well, the game. Yeah. Well, so sorry. What were you going to say? Well, th- what I was going to go, go back to saying was that
1: the performance wasn't really that bad. It was just mm-hmm. a case of you didn't get the net bounces you necessarily wanted. You made some mistakes in the first period that cost you, especially with that shorthanded goal. Um, And, you know, the wild, I think really just took their foot off the gas pedal after the second period especially and we're just behind the eight ball i think this was you know the wild has been a good team this season dan but uh you know i think the devils um we're gonna rue the fact that they could have taken this game outright but it is what
0: it is welcome to hockey it doesn't well that's what i was going to say yeah that that was the point i was going to make it's more you know end result you step back you look at the table it's a point against a pretty good team and you're disappointed you don't have two but you're glad you got at least the one
1: Exactly. And in this day and age,
0: getting one is better than zero, Mm -hmm. which is what they got on Black Friday. The (laughs) The next two games were such a juxtaposition of maybe the worst effort they've shown all season, followed by maybe the best effort they've shown all season. I'm including the Islanders for nothing shutout win in that because I'm pretty sure the Devils might have played better in this game than they did in that one. Uh, I'm referring uh, yeah. of course, to the game against Philadelphia, but before we get there, let's talk about the abysmal effort. That was the, uh, game against former devils coach, John Hines. You'd think that his former players would want to get up for this game and be ready to play this game. And long story short, they were absolutely not. And they all said as much after. So John, I'm going to let you kind of wax poetic on this for a bit, Oh, um, yeah. as long I, as you'd of- like to. Yeah, I got a lot
1: of I got a lot of things to say about this particular game. Um, So one, what Dan was alluding to everybody that uh, Lindy Ruff, the head coach of the devil said after the game that he didn't like the perform the effort. He didn't like the fact that leadership didn't get the players up for this one. And truth be told, he's not wrong. I mean, the effort from the Devils was absolutely lackadaisical and as much as. I get on the coaches. You may get on the coaches. Dan gets on the coaches. The reality is, is that they're not on the ice. The players are. And if the players aren't going to execute, the players aren't going to put in the effort. It doesn't matter. If you got, you know, a consortium of Jacques Lemaire, Scott Bowman, Al Arbor, Fred Shero, you know, name your favorite head coach from the past. It doesn't matter what game plan you come up with. You're going to lose. And the devils put themselves behind the eight ball against a hungrier, um, and more effort putting in a higher compete level. If you want to use that fun cliche, a higher compete level than, uh, than the devils did. However, I do want to point out that Nashville, because they were coached by John Hines, they pretty much had an answer from how the devils typically tend to play at five on five, which is that when they try to get gain the offensive zone, they love to go low to high. What that means is that they get the puck in deep, get it in low. And then after winning the puck, they come out of the corner. They come out of the, come out from behind the, goal line and look for somebody open at the top of the zone which is the high part which is typically a defenseman or maybe a forward if one of the defensemen activates that's really the one major difference between John Hines's five-on-five system in the offensive zone and Lindy Ruff's system in five-on-five in the offensive zone which is defensemen are free to activate and uh, there's a little more creative freedom allowed among the forwards Um, but considering it is similar to what John Hines runs John Hines is uh Nashville Predators were very prepared to take care of business and since the Devils love to use their speed and try to you know uh make the game full of turnovers and uh pressure in the neutral zone and at the blue line when they're off the puck try to create quick zone exits on defense well John Hines had answers for that too the -hmm. Nashville Predators were very good at holding on to the puck they were very good at maintaining possession they were very good at pinning the devils back so even if the devils could win a puck to get a stop on defense they didn't have the energy nor the positions to create a quick counterattack or odd man rush so what this meant was that um we're, we're at second intermission and the devils have nine shots on net
0: this nine, was jarring 10, I, nine I, I was kind of you know going in and out of this broadcast i had other things going on but seeing that shot count at the end of the second period was staggering it was
1: and the thing is is that in the middle of all this it's not like the Nashville Predators put the game out of reach but it was one of those classic contests where you only really needed a handful of goals to take the game and when uh Michael Granlund made it three nothing early in the or a little maybe two okay a, a little bit before seven minutes into the third period it felt like that was going to be uh too, too much of a hill to climb and it was Andreas Janssen did get a goal after uh Nashville decided getting three men below their goal line was a was an idea, and Jesper brought won the puck anyway. So Mercer just tapped it, flew it over to Johnson for the tap in. Okay, you end the shootout. I'm sorry, end the shutout streak for a Juicy shot Soros in the game, but Ale- Alexandre Carrier sealed the game with the ENG. Thomas Tatar turned a turnover. Uh, from Johnson into a breakaway goal, so at least he can feel good about that. But this game was very short on anything feel good, everything that was bad about the Devils outside of the penalty kill, which has been really good as of late, by the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really good. But this was their the Devils' fifth loss in their last six, and they just looked absolutely crummy in this one. This was the sort of game that if you decided to sit somebody down and say, hey, it's the holidays, let's share in my interest of the New Jersey Devils, They would see this game and turn to you and go, what is wrong with you? Please follow anything else.
0: Yeah, (laughs) it's at least they knew it, though, right? Like at least the after game press conference was, yeah, we knew we did a bad job there instead of, well, we could definitely take some positives out of this game. Because when games like that happen and you can see visually that something is not right, you can see in the play that something's not right, something is not looking familiar with this team. If they say after the game in the classic, you know, oh, we gave it our best, just things weren't going our way, but our, you know, our plans were good, so on and so forth. uh, No, that, that doesn't work for me. If you know you screwed up, you know you screwed up. You say it, you acknowledge it, you move on, you put it behind you and leaving it out in the open allows you to put it behind you. It makes it tangible because the next game, the Devils, I would say definitely put it behind them.
1: Oh, absolutely. This was, they followed up one of their worst performances of the season with one of their best. And you could argue that this was their best performance. I mean, if you want to argue the 2-1 win over the Sabres was a classic example of the Devils doing everything but scoring, but they were controlling the play. Obviously, they owned the game against Seattle, which saw fit to just ice the puck over and over again after a while. But this game, woo, this game, Dan, remember how I said the Devils had nine shots on net after two periods in Nashville? Dougie Hamilton alone uh-huh. had nine shots in the first two periods in the in the 5-2 win over the Philadelphia Flyers. Dougie Hamilton was absolutely dominant in this one, 15 shooting attempts, a goal to start the start off the scoring. He set up a beautiful goal, a tap-in for Nathan Bastion that got everybody super excited and really put the game fully out of reach for Philadelphia in the third period. This man was everywhere in all the best terms. And if he and if he was the best individual performer, Dan, the Mercer line as a collective, especially Andreas Johnson, was easily the best unit because that Mercer line just absolutely crushed Philadelphia all night long. Pillar to post.
0: You love to see it. Both Johnson and Brat are two points away from being point per game players. Can you believe that? Oh, yeah. Can, can you believe, believe that that's happening? Because. It's not something that anyone expected, but since this line was put together, they have been burying everyone both in the analytics department and by the eye test, they are visible. Every time they're out there, they're hounding the puck. Johnson looks like a new man. Mercer has given him a spark that, you know, really, really he needed and was sorely lacking last year. And Jesper Bratt, just the perfect compliment to them, arguably New Jersey's um, most crafty forward besides Hughes when, and, Speaking of the man himself, he should be back soon. And we were talking about the Devils, you know, keeping their head above water while he was gone. The Devils have played pretty much at the same pace um, the entire time, which is a 95-96 point pace, which in a lot of other divisions, you're feeling pretty good about. That's, that's a playoff spot in a lot of those divisions. Not so in the Metropolitan no and that's that's a credit to how strong the metropolitan is right now as as we're discussing
1: this the devils effectively went one one and one since our last recording. Well since then Columbus and Pittsburgh went you know won three of their last four games. Our hated rivals have continued to you know they're on a winning streak with three wins. Washington just upended Carolina with three straight wins. Carolina has you know decided to lose some games. Oh, and they still have a seventy-seven point five point percentage. Like it's craziness. Your top five spots are owned by teams with over seventy, you know, points percentage. You're lucky if you see two of those in a division, much less three. That's just how good everybody is in the division.
0: But, well, and the, and the Rangers restructured their whole team to try and fight Tom Wilson all at once, and somehow that's working for them.
1: Well, you know, I mean, they it's the fact have that hot they have six a hot good and it's just. Well, yeah, that's pretty, you pretty much nailed it. Igor Shostakhin is playing really great. Kreider shooting
0: 25%. Yeah, there you go.
1: Yeah, that's how you're getting it done. Um, <laughs> hopefully for their sake, they don't cool off. Let them cool
0: off please. Yeah, yeah.
1: But more seriously, last night's game against Philadelphia was huge in that respect. And I'm glad you brought up the standings because going into Sunday's game, the Devils and Philadelphia were tied in points. And because of the recent successes of Columbus and Pittsburgh, while the devils were only getting one point against the wild on Thanksgiving Eve and getting zero, which is what they deserved in Nashville on black mm-hmm. Friday, the devils were all of a sudden you're four points back of Columbus and Pittsburgh. And well, yes, you have games in hand on Pittsburgh, but you didn't have any games in hand on Columbus. And next thing, you know, you start realizing if you don't start winning some games soon, you're going to start your, that hole is going to get deeper. So thankfully the devils prevailed over Philadelphia with a big third period. Um, they did beat, you know, Martin Jones, silly Johnson and Brat were just studs out there flying every which way, making them suffer their turnovers real bad. Um, and it could have been even more Dan, like Brat had a breakaway stop. There was another post that there was another two posts that were hit in the first period. Like this game could have been much uglier than five two. Um, that being yeah. said, the Devils got the all important W. So now they're just two points back at Pittsburgh and Columbus. They have two games at hand on Pittsburgh. So theoretically they could still jump the penguins as, as of this recording and they could still, they're effectively keeping pace Whereas now Philadelphia. They realize they're winless in their last six and uh, they're sitting at exactly 50% point percentage, which is not a place where you want to be. That's not a playoff base. And uh, you know, as they say in this uh, NHL season, it you know, there may still be 60 more games to go, Dan, but it gets dark really early
0: in this league. Well, it is the, hard to catch up. What's the Thanksgiving rule of thumb? If you're within four points of a playoff spot, you have a legitimate chance. And that's not, you know, many, plenty of teams have broken that before in either direction, <laughs> but that's just the rule of thumb. Yeah. The um, rule of
1: thumb is if you're in a playoff position at Thanksgiving, you got a 75% chance of making the playoffs.
0: I think it extends to within four points of it because not everyone's Maybe. played the same amount of games or something Maybe. like that. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, and, and
1: of course, this year it's with this division, you know, who knows? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a but, little tougher.
0: Um, yeah, like regardless, the Devils have found a way to stay relevant through Thanksgiving, which is not something we could have said. But they also found a way to do it without their best player, who has been practicing with the team again. Uh, I'm sure we have reached the point where Lindy Ruff has upgraded from he's close to return to very close to a return, and I think by today we've achieved he's very, very close to a return. Um, so hopefully we we stop adding adverbs in there, and eventually he hits the ice again and gives the Devils three extremely dynamic lines potentially making a fourth one that could be just as um, just as interesting, just as, you know, compelling now that Na- Bastion's back on that line as well.
1: Yeah. And it's one of the best problems for a coach to have. It's much better to have too many options than to not have enough of them. And we mm-hmm. saw a bit of that early on after Jack Hughes did get injured when you got to see the attempt at making Michael McLeod the second the second line center that, mm-hmm. that failed, Dan, just to yep. remind everybody was that, great. Was, that was terrible. Hey, he's good
0: at face offs, though.
1: Yeah, which, cool, you're good at face-offs. The, the problem is, once the after the face-off, you got to still give us stuff, you know? It was uh, fun to see the broadcast uh, last night try to compare him to Claude Giroux and Patrice Bergeron. It's like, which one of these three men don't belong? Mm-hmm. Um, it's McLeod, by the way. Anyways, but um, no, I think there's definitely going to be some movement, because as much as John- Johnson and Brett have performed really well, you still get some struggles out of Tatar and Sharon Govich. Yes, they've scored recently, so maybe they're getting out of it. Quacken hasn't been productive he's been useful in spots but who knows with that vc you know he's a bottom six player playing like a bottom six player so i mean i would i wouldn't sit there and say let's say if jack hughes comes back for the san jose game or he comes back for the game in minnesota on thursday or the game in winnipeg on friday um i wouldn't necessarily write any lines down in pen outside of mercer johnson bratt because that line has been cooking i i mm. don't think that line is gonna yeah we don't touch up. that no, but uh, everything else, feel free to move it around, especially since as of late, Zaka has been pretty cold. I would say he, he was one of the few Devils to have not played well against Philadelphia, nearly scored a known goal, in fact. But uh, hey, Devils got the Duff 5-2 win, so all is forgiven. But yeah. you know, those are the types of things you got to start thinking, on, thinking of as a coach is to say, okay, who needs the help? Who, ne- who needs to do this? And more importantly, how do you ingrate, uh, integrate uh, Jack Hughes to what the team has been doing? Uh, For the most part, the Devils really haven't changed a lot of how they do business at five on five and the power play sucks. And as much as I'd love to sit here and say, Jack Hughes is going to make it good. He's not because we saw this last season with Jack Hughes all season. So, you know, I'm going to hit you with this controversial take, Dan, a great player cannot overcome a bad system. And that's true in football. That's true in basketball. That's true in hockey and power plays, special teams. They're very much system based. So- I've
0: never seen oh. a special teams unit more act like, OK, so when we talk penalty kill, right, you're at a disadvantage. And if your penalty yeah. kill is bad, you're going to let up a lot of goals. And if you're undisciplined right. like the Devils have been this year, they take so many penalties. Um, if their penalty kill was any worse than it was, they would not be winning a lot of these games that they have been winning. So credit to the penalty kill. it seemingly figured out at least something.
1: Yeah, it's up to 80% in the league right now. So considering their start, that's actually really impressive.
0: Yeah, they did so, a good job over the last stretch. I, I don't remember them allowing multiple power play goals in a game for a while now. Correct. However,
1: and this even happened in last night's you know win that we're ecstatic about. Uh, the power play, which gave up a shorthanded goal against Minnesota, did it again. Um, it looked like Zaka created a bad situation where the Devils just got beaten on a puck race. it it frees up an opportunity that eventually gets answered by Scott Lofton getting ahead of PK Subban and just going around Mr. Blackwood for the goal. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, that's a system, system goal. The fact that you're even going that into the walls, the fact that you're at this shallow, the fact that you have this many players in position seemingly there, but not there, that's a system problem. And I've been banging on this drum all about the Jersey, uh, fans online have been banging about it. There was even a light fire recce chant at the game last night from what I was told. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the power play has legitimately, Dan, over the last two weeks, which is um, since November 14th, has scored one power play goal
0: and given up two. That's pathetic. I've that never pathetic. seen a, a situation that's supposed to be advantageous for a team contribute so directly to helping them lose games. And again, we've talked about this before. Not only are they now giving up goals on the power play, but getting a power play seems to give them no momentum. In fact, it has the exact opposite effect. It completely drains them of any good um, shifts that they had put together in five on five. They're completely in their heads for every single possession on every power play. It is painstaking to watch these things these failures again and again and again and Mm -hmm. something has to change because it is costing them games it is actively costing them game state and game flow and mental energy and just stress worrying about making mistakes when they should be focused on getting the puck in the net but now they're thinking about all the ways that it's ended up in theirs after they've screwed up on the power play and so that has to change it's something that despite that atrocity, it is impressive that the Devils have the record that they do because it has been that bad. It it is truly appalling.
1: Yeah. And let me hit everybody with a warm take here. It's not a hot take, but here's a warm take for everybody. You know, Mason Geertsen is not going to be in, you know, he's not going to prevent any liberties from being taken there. And this was actually true in the Philadelphia game because Philadelphia, given their reputation, uh, they couldn't do anything to stop Jesper Bratt or Andreas Johnson, even if they wanted to in that game and they mm. didn't. So Geertsen's presence did not do this. So, by the way, Geertsen fought in that game, ate a knuckle sandwich, about 10 of them from my, from what I rec- can recall. Um, so, yay. But seriously, you know, what's going to prevent teams from taking liberties against the Devils is having a functioning power play because, you know, you know pe- teams are going to foul. Teams are going to go over the line. Teams are going to make mistakes and be lazy, disciplined. You know, that happens in games. It happens to the Devils. It happens to their opponents, right? But when you don't have an, a power play that even threatens to score never mind scoring Dan just threatening to score because the devils are really bad at that too on the power play mm-hmm. do you think the coach? you think the players on the other team are going to go oh well you know what? I got away with that foul I better watch my step no they're going to feel emboldened to just keep cheating again because they know that the devils aren't going to punish them coach isn't going to come and come to them and say, hey you can't do that we nearly got burned on that they're yeah. going to say hey I don't want you to take the penalty but hey no harm no foul so to speak. Um, Tell us okay, just there... decline
0: them at this point. It, 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 it's like, it, yeah, usually that's a gross over-exaggeration of, you know, the state of things for, you know, when we talk about football, decline the penalty, oh, they can't get yards anyway. No, I'm, I'm actually seriously considering if there was an option to decline every power play, they are generally and genuinely significantly better at five on five.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and we got four to see on that... four. Yeah. And we got to see that in the Philadelphia game. Case in point, we saw that in the Minnesota game, five on five. Um, most of those 35 shots, the devils generated against Philly last night were at five on five, four out of the five goals were at five on five against Minnesota. Um, you know, they put 42 shots on net in total.
0: The majority of those were at five on five. Um, so and it's hard to complain, point. right? Because you want that to be the game state where your team is best. That's oh, yeah. the most the common most situation. Time. Yeah, exactly. But every single infraction pulled against you, teams are going to start doing it on purpose. That's going to be hack a shack, but with the devil's entire power play. Exactly.
1: Until they start scoring. And in a way, that's why I'm hoping in a sense that Jack Hughes doesn't come back and suddenly turn this power play around, because again, that will just tell the coaching staff it will tell Mark Recchi, it'll tell the team effectively that, Hey, we just needed Jack Hughes back. And I'm saying, no, your system sucks. It's mm-hmm. not creating a lot of offense. The fact that you added Dougie Hamilton, Thomas Tatar, you got Andreas Johnson. That's finally, you know, not, you know, super cold and not playing hundred percent. You got Jesper Bratt, who's been making lots of plays happen. You got the emergence of Dawson Mercer. You got Nico Heesher, who's still producing. Before yesterday's game in against Philadelphia, he was second on the team in November with nine points. So he's been contributing. You got all these things in your favor, and your power play is still this terrible. Again, Jack Hughes is not like this missing puzzle piece that's going to come here and make it all better. There are systemic flaws with how the devils are getting set up, how they're how they're performing when they are set up. And that's a reason why for this whole season, Dan, they have seven power play goals in total this season and three against. Ugh. All right. Well, enough
0: about the power play. I'm sure it's right. not going to And we're ranting about this,
1: everybody, because if they can fix this now, the Devils will be in a much better place to keep on getting Ws, getting points in games in like the national game, where maybe they could have dragged something out of their power play, helped them out, um, or make some of these games like the Philadelphia game a lot easier. Because again, it was a 5-2 win, but three of those goals were in the f- third period. It was 2-2 briefly in the third period, thanks to a. Um, an off uh, carom from a, ref, from a lot, uh, sorry, a referee. Yep. So case in point here that, you know, having a functioning power play to at least threaten to score just helps everything out. And that's the biggest flaw with this team. And if they could sort that out, keep up the good, p- good time on the penalty kill, keep up the good things are doing at five on five. This is a bubble team. This is a playoff bubble team and easily the best team since 2018.
0: That's, nice. that's why we're, that's why we're passionate about this guys. Yeah, it's it's like this is obvious here. Yeah, before you couldn't even there were so many issues that you couldn't even see the pathway to being good. They had to fix so much. But here there is very distinctly one problem and one problem that is glaringly obvious. I mean, there's there's always issues. People are going to make mistakes in any stage of professional sports in any game by on a game by game basis. And I know there's still some players and bonehead moves and things that we think about but this is one glaring obvious issue compared to the rest of them which are not glaring nor are they obvious so fix this fix this things become immediately better things can go as well as they have in utica where the comets finally dropped their first game of the season but then promptly won right after that to get back in the win column so holtz continues to produce down there i guess um so oh, that's a, that's a good thing but uh, you know, maybe he'll get the call up for the last games that he has before his first year of entry level contract burns, but it will, we'll see what the roster has room for considering Hughes's return as well. Um, yeah. And then let's see, besides Utica, just in general, welcome back Nate Bastion. It was good to see all the devils rallying around him on social media. It's good to see him be so happy to be back with the team. I know for Fitzgerald, that probably wasn't a very difficult decision, considering the issues that the fourth line was having. And seeing, well, we didn't really want to give this guy up, but here he is again. Why not take him back? Reasonable yeah. money, great. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a,
1: it's another example of bad management by Seattle. I mean, in retrospect, even though you and I probably would have been doing you know backflips if they claimed Johnson at the expansion draft
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: earlier this year, and we're now we're now. I'm happy to eat some crowed in and yeah, say, no, I'm very glad they
0: didn't do that. The best wrong take we've had, but, but right. also, but but the thing is, is that this
1: is like the fourth player that third, third, they, I'm sorry, the third player that they selected on the expansion draft that they put on waivers and lost them to the original team that they took them from. Like the
0: other two being Gavin there from the Columbus blue jackets and Vitek Vanacek from uh, the Washington capitals.
1: Yeah. It, it's, 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 it makes you wonder Seattle, what are you doing? Um, uh, <sighs>
0: They'll figure but, it out. I guess you know, their,
1: their, their losses, the devil's gain. And again, you know, it's not like Bastion's going to come in and score 20 goals, but he could at least solidify that one of those bottom six roles that the devils have been using as a revolving door for the likes of Marion student. Each Tice Thompson, who's now injured, Jesper Boakvis who was put on IR for a minor injury. And I think maybe getting sent down to Utica soon, Fabian Zetterlund who got a brief shot at it, Chase DeLeo who had the most recent shot at it. A lot of different guys got these opportunities, but none of them really, in my opinion, or especially in the devil's opinion, really commanded it. So Bastion will, Bastion solidifies it.
0: Cool. Good move. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. One last piece of news here that may have, you know, significance, it probably won't, but who knows, is that it was just told that Jake DeBrusque has requested a trade out of Boston. And I know that was a popular target for people on, um, on the internet for the New Jersey devil. So apparently they're looking to put together a deal for a change of scenery for Jake DeBrusque. So maybe, I don't know.
1: Well, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, it's a little odd that this is coming out considering he has a pending RFA. So this almost smacks of like, we can't get a deal done. So, you know, we're going to ship him out now before it's the trade deadline. And we're kind of, you know, up against it because, you know Boston has plenty of cap space right now, so it's not like they need to move him to make another move. But I guess they figured they don't see a f- they can't come to terms on a, on a future, so they're going to try to deal him away now. Um, we'll see. I mean, I liked I've always liked Debresque's game. It's a big question of where does he fit in mm-hmm. on this team, and more importantly, how much do you resign him for? Because again, he's a pending RFA with arbitration rights, so he's not going to come cheap. In fact that you're getting him for now but you're going to pay for him later. Remember, you got Jack Hughes to pay. You got Brat, who's definitely going to get a big contract with the way he's playing. You got uh, Pavel Zaka, who needs a new deal. Mackenzie Blackwood's going to need a new deal in the near future. You got, a lot of, you got some potentially huge contracts coming up. So DeBrusque might not necessarily fit in well with the, um, the timeline in that regard. That being said, if you firmly believe that Jake DeBrusque can help your team succeed and um, you're willing to give up comparative value to make it happen, I say try it out. If Miles Wood was healthy, I would say try to swap that out personally. But I don't think Boston would necessarily bite on that. But that's kind of how I feel about it at the moment. Just looking Mm -hmm. at it for like 30 seconds on capfriendly.com.
0: Yeah, that's just a side mention. I know he was a name that was floated around for a while. But um, maybe the need isn't as urgent this time around. The Devils have built the roster the way they have. Uh, Speaking
1: of roster, I've got one last little bit of news here. And this is more league-wide news, but it's something to keep an eye on. Um, our friend Co- COVID nineteen, the mm. coronavirus, the worst thing to come out of Wuhan, um, it has claimed more postponed games in the NHL. Um, shortly after their one nothing loss to Pittsburgh for their eighth straight loss, the Islanders lobbied and successfully received a postponement of their following two games against our hated rivals and Philadelphia, which would have been playing on Tuesday. At the same time, the, devil, uh, the Devils will be playing the Sharks. Those games were postponed, and they're hoping to get them back in San Jose. I bring this up because now New York Rangers and Carolina Hurricanes players are also entering the protocol. So I'm not saying there's going to be a breakout within the division, and definitely not saying there's going to be one among the Devils. But just keep it. Just be aware that if more postponements of games keep happening, you can almost bet that the likelihood of the, of the NHL going to the Olympics is going to go lower and lower because – there's a big break in February that would be perfect to make up all these different games without interrupting the current schedule. Oh no. But, um, this is the reality that we're in. Um, it's not going to, you know, the one game that the devils were impacted in, that's going to be next week, uh, December 6th. Um, might as well just briefly mention that, uh, of course the devils are going to be, uh, hosting San Jose tomorrow. They're going to be in Minnesota on Thursday. They're going to be in Winnipeg for their first game in Canada in over two years or over a year. I can't remember uh, on Friday. And then they're going to host Ottawa in that rescheduled game on the sixth. So the devils will play the Islanders on the 11th of December. So by then they should be fully recovered, but just, just keep that in the back of your mind that this is not just an isolated incident. Now it's not just something that happened to Ottawa and, you know, it just impacted three games. It's now starting to grow a little bit.
0: Yeah. So the, the outbreaks keep coming, unfortunately for, you know, the league and the world, but um, hopefully they're insulated enough where they don't have to cancel too many games. We are already seeing so many issues with it. So I'm praying that the Olympics go off without a hitch, but that's, you know, every day that passes by that possibility gets dimmer and dimmer. So we're going to keep our fingers crossed, see if they can, make it work somehow and until then we'll join you on the next episode of garden state of hockey where hopefully we come back and talk about some more devils wins but thank you again for joining us hopefully you all had a lovely thanksgiving and as always let's go devils
1: go devils